Good morning. I've always wanted to do that. Um, just bothers me. Anyway, uh, good morning, everybody. Okay. Yes, let's, okay, one more time with feeling. Good morning. Now that's a green tree welcome. Okay. Have you ever been asked a question that afterwards you think, I don't think that was a question at all. I mean, it felt like a question, seems like a question, has the, has the overall look of a question, but it's altogether something completely different. Example, let's say you're at a family gathering, having a lovely time, and as the, as the time winds down, people are about to leave, uh, you might find yourself, like I may have once, um, going up to the food table and taking the last piece of cake. Why? Because I like cake, and cake is delicious. So... I put some cake on my plate, and I spin around, about to head back to my seat, and I bump into Aunt Margaret, who's a lovely person, and, and she says, uh, hi, Steve. I say, hi, Margaret. Sorry, Peggy. And um, <laughs> pause for laughter. Okay. Uh, and then and she says, Steve, are you planning to eat that last piece of cake? I said, you mean this piece of cake already on my plate, beautifully paired with a nice tall glass of lactose-free 2% milk? Yes, I am going to eat that piece of cake. And, and so, in fact, I said, honestly, it was just sitting there. It's been over an hour. In fact, the edges are getting kind of crusty. I feel like I'm doing the cake a little flavor. You know, crust on the edge of cake is not a good look. So uh, I, got, I got to relieve it of its, of its misery. And so um, if you'll let me pass, uh, <laughs> I, I'd like to go back to my seat if I could. Um, and she did let me go by, thankfully. But then as I'm walking back to my, plate, uh, my seat, I was like, what was that? It was kind of odd because she, she did ask me a question. Let's be official. Are there any English teachers in the house? Is there Scott Holly? Could we get a, a, a call on that? Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, that would be. So if you start a, a sentence or dare I say a question, are you planning to eat that piece of cake? Uh, beautifully started in terms of a question. Beautifully, wonderful start with the word are, A-R-E. Really good start there. In fact, if this were Spanish, you know, it'd be an upside down question mark, right? To kind of say, <laughs> spoiler alert, question coming, right? So... <laughs> I was a French lit guy. Oh, so sorry. Um, <laughs> excessive, excessive punctuation. Anyway, so, you know, so you, 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 you even end with an inflection. Are you going to eat that piece of cake? You know, it, kinda, it goes up and there's even a question mark at the end. And so I thought that was, in fact, you know, technically a question. Siri would even confirm that is a question, right? Recalculating. And so... Um, but then I thought, what was, I think there's an agenda there. Can we all agree? I think Margaret is basically saying um, that, that she didn't want me to have the piece of cake, okay, that I should, you know, put the cake back and, and she wants it. It's basically, but she couldn't say that, right? You can't, you, we have a civilized society. You can't come right out and say, unhand that cake, uh, back away from the cake, sir, because it's cake time for Margaret, right? I mean, She'd love to say that, but she, but she couldn't. So she put it in the wonderful confines of a question. Are you going to eat that cake? Uh, as if I've, I've no idea what he'll say as he's walking away with the cake, right? So, um, but we, we encounter that all the time. In fact, right now, those of you who are rather savvy, which I think is most of you, you're wondering, hey, I, I've looked in the bulletin. It says Tom's supposed to preach today. Uh, are you just going to keep talking? <laughs> which, by the way, is a question. Good for you, right? Um, but if we could maybe read below the surface there, I think there might be an agenda. You're maybe worried about the time. Perhaps there's some brunch plans. Uh, who knows? You don't want us to run late. So the sooner Tom gets up to preach, the sooner we can get on with this thing. So, uh, well, why don't you just say so? Anyway, without any further ado, here's Tom. Tom. <laughs> 
I'm sorry this bothers you so much, Steve. That actually gave me an idea, though. Yeah, I could do it. That would be that would be weird. That would really be weird. Oh my goodness. When is a uh, is a question not a question? Luke chapter ten, verses thirty-eight through forty-two. Last week, uh, we uh, set our agenda for the uh, winter. Uh, and spring up to Easter uh, with the notion of Jesus being resolved to be our Redeemer, to go to Jerusalem and offer himself on our behalf. And so we're going to look at that journey. We're going to look at the, the things to which Jesus resolved himself along the way. And one of them was a, quest, uh, a conversation with a person who asked him a question that really wasn't a question. Uh, before Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, uh, just as a reminder of, of kind of the turning point in Luke's gospel, we'll uh, review where we started last week. Luke 9, 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face, he determined, he resolved to go to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 38. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Fathers, we uh, gather together this morning. Uh, we come from, from busy weeks, from uh, hectic schedules. Lord, some of us come from weeks where uh, we've, we've experienced fear and disappointment, others uh, joy and success, and, and maybe a lot of us, some a uh, little bit of both. Lord, we gather together to worship you, and part of that worship, we, we, we want to be with our minds, with our intellect, with our understanding. So, Father, we pray that as we open your word, you would teach us. You are the author of life. We, we call this uh, Sunday in, in Western Evangelical Church a Sanctity of Life Sunday. Let us remember that you are the author of all lives, including our own. And that every life is important to you, is precious to you. So, Father, as we wrestle with this question that really isn't a question, uh, you who are the giver of life want to give us life this morning. You want to infuse within us your truth. And you call us to trust in your truth, to believe your truth, so to submit our lives to it, to arrange our priorities based on your grace and mercy to us. And, Lord, that's a journey for us. That is sometimes a great struggle. Uh, other times it is a tremendous blessing. Uh, but Lord, we pray wherever we find ourselves this morning that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts and our minds. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to what anybody could learn from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So hopefully we've set the stage fairly well for you and the sermon, in a sentence, won't be a surprise to you. Asking the right question puts us on the pathway to the right outcome. So what's the right question? Right? So we want to look at this, this inter, interaction this morning between two people. We're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at Martha. Uh, and we're going to, to, to try to 
kind of see what was her frame of mind, what was really going on behind that question. And then looking at Martha, perhaps we could see something of ourselves. And as we do that, then we turn our attention. The second half of the sermon, we're going to look at Jesus and his response to Martha and what that tells us about Jesus and what we can know we can trust about him. So we want to get to the, to the right question because that gets us going in the right direction. But can we discover from this passage what exactly is that question so we, we know whether we're on the right pathway or not? Let's talk about Martha for a few minutes. In verses 38 through the very first part of verse 40, Luke records this. Now, as they, and as Jesus and his disciples, his, his group of 12, there might have been a few other folks with them, right? As they went on their way, they entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him, his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, before we kind of all pounce on Martha for, you know, kind of being the, the, the villain of this story, which she isn't, uh, she, she clearly is going to have to kind of readjust her thinking, but, but I think Martha starts out well. Uh, she more than likely knows the Lord before this time. She's interacted with them. We read a, a longer story about Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus in John chapter 11 in John's gospel. And it's clear that they're dear friends with Jesus. And so this is not, you know, I'm going, I think that's Jesus. Maybe we could talk him into stopping by for a meal. This is probably Jesus. We're going to get the table set. When you're done teaching, come on over. We've got your place ready for you. These, these are probably good friends. And Martha wants to treat her friend well. Martha wants to make sure that Jesus has a good meal. Maybe she's looking at him and go, boy, he looks dusty and he looks tired. Maybe, you know, his shoulders are slumping a little bit or, you know, it looks like he's just hungry. Let's make sure that we do a good job of taking care of the Lord. I would dare say that, that if Jesus walked in this morning, we would offer him the very best Dunkin' Donut holes that we could, we could possibly muster up, right? We, we might even, if we really wanted to, to treat him great, we might take him over to Spencer's for some bacon and eggs, right? And give him a, give him a really good breakfast. But we, we would want to put our best foot forward. And I think Martha is doing that. I think she's wanting to, to take care of the Lord. Think about this in, in these terms. If you uh, had some friends invite you over, folks that you knew well, right? And, and you really loved each other, you really cared for them, you were good friends. And they said, we really want to have a, have a nice evening with you. Come on over to the house. And you showed up and you knocked on the door and somebody just shouted from the back of the house, come on in, the door's open, right? They didn't bother to get up to come in and greet you and take your coat and, and welcome you into the house. And you came in and they were laying on the couch and they were in their grubby clothes and they were, they were watching the ball game and they kind of said hi to you, come on in. And they didn't really acknowledge you. Right? And then you look over on the table and there's some kind of day old bologna sandwiches. And they're like, hey, we didn't must, want to mess with dinner, so go grab a bologna sandwich and, and come on in and sit down if you want. Right? You would go, something's missing here. You don't, don't treat folks like that. Right? So Martha isn't guilty of, not, uh, of, of being inhospitable. Martha actually wants to be hospitable, and I think that's a very laudable trait. However, in this process, we learn some things about Martha that reveal something in her heart that we might not want to see this morning because maybe they reveal some things in our hearts as well. But the first thing she does is she kind of surveys what's going on around her and as her blood pressure begins to go up, right? Because she's welcomed Jesus into her house. And now she's busy with the serving. She's distracted with much serving. She's got to set the table. She's got to make sure that the food gets out of the, out of the oven on time and the, the bread isn't overbreaked and are the seats arranged correctly. And there's a million things to do if you're going to have, you know, 12, 13 people sitting around your table. And she is busy with this. And the more she thinks about it, the more she thinks about where is Mary? 
where's my sister who's supposed to be here helping me? And she looks over to the living room, so to speak, and there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus with her back to Martha, not paying one bit of attention to all the work that Martha's doing. And Martha starts to get ticked off. And Martha starts to feel a little bit indignant. And she starts to set the table. She kind of, now she's putting down the knives and the forks and she's laying out the napkins and she's, she starts to talk to herself. And, you know, you kind of see the disciples kind of looking around the corner. What's going on with Martha? And Mary's just fixed on Jesus, right? Not even looking. She gets to the point where she can't take it anymore and she walks over to Jesus and she interrupts. This is not somewhere she said, can I talk to you over here in the kitchen for just a moment? She goes right to Jesus, interrupts the Lord's teaching, Okay. And, and with no qualms whatsoever, asks him a question. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you not care? Now, how many people in this room think that's an honest question coming out of Martha's mouth? <laughs> right? She is not asking Jesus a question at all. It's not a question. She's making a statement. Lord, you don't care. You don't care that I've invited you to dinner and everything that goes with that. And I'm in here and I'm working hard to make sure that you have a, a nice dinner and your disciples feel cared for. And the one person in this house that ought to be helping me is not out. I can't believe that you don't care about me. But she doesn't stop there. She doesn't just raise this question that's not a question. But she also levels an accusation against her sister, right? You don't care what? That my sister has left me alone. Now, did Mary leave Martha alone? No, she, she's not leaving Martha alone. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Luke's very clear about what Mary is doing and what's in Mary's heart. Mary is not the hero of the story. Jesus says, but Mary is not neglecting her sister. She is, she is proactively listening to Jesus, right? And so Martha takes a whole different read on it and accuses her sister of being a rotten person. Now, I grew up with a sister. I get that. I understand there's sometimes when you just got to throw your sister under the bus. It's just a question of survival. We have three children. We have a boy, a girl, and a boy. When they were growing up, sometimes Katie was kind of in the middle of all that, right? And, and she, she was causing a little bit of trouble. But more often than not, you're supposed to stick up for your siblings, right? Right? So my brother grew up saying, amen. I got an amen here on the front row, right? Okay, right? So my brother loved the saying, I can hit Tom, but nobody else can, right? But boy, he, he sure emphasized that first part of it, right? Until I got old enough to, to stand up for myself. But nobody could pick on me outside the family. You're supposed to stick up for your siblings. And here's Martha throwing Mary under the bus. She's assuming Mary has bad motives. Now think about that. Do you ever do that? Do you ever assume that another person with whom maybe you haven't even spoken has bad motives, where if you were in that same situation, you would do whatever they were doing, but you would have pure motives, right? So it's okay if I whip in and out of traffic. If I cut people off, I'm like, I know the line starts here and I should get in line, but I'm in a hurry. I got to go up and cut somebody off, right? That's okay because I'm a pastor. I'm a man of the cloth and I got to get somewhere, right? <laughs> but you do that. You try to cut me off, right? And it's going to be a whole different ballgame. You're clearly, even though I've never met you, you're not a man of the cloth. You, there's nothing holy or righteous about you at all. You're just an evil, terrible person who's not willing to wait their turn in line, right? How do I know that? How do I know they're not a surgeon who's rushing to the hospital to save somebody's life? How, how do I know that they didn't just have the worst day of their life and their whole world just fell apart and they're not even realizing what they're doing? But I'm very quick to assign terrible motives to others while excusing myself. I look a lot like Martha with the accusation, but then it doesn't stop there. Then what does she do? She says, now, Jesus, you fix this. 
right? She doesn't ask. She doesn't say, Lord, could I offer a suggestion? Could we take a 15-minute break in the lesson? Could Mary come in and maybe give me a hand? And then she can come right back in, and when you're ready to go, she can sit back down. She says, you tell her to help me, right? And she doesn't say, would you tell her to help me, right? You tell her to help me. I know. She's angry. Her heart is, is agitated and stirred up. She demands that the God of the universe do what she wants when she wants, the way she wants it. And again, I see myself in Martha. What's the question that you ask God that isn't really a question? Ever stop to think about that? Your prayer life or in your conversations with God? Have you ever said, Lord, why? Or Lord, what? Or Lord, why are you? You see, like that word are at the beginning of the question, right? Hey, Lord, what on earth are you doing? I remember growing up and my dad didn't become a Christian until later on in life. And, and, and I was pretty sure that my dad wasn't loved by God. And sometimes that was my prayer. You don't even love my dad, right? If you loved my dad, you'd save him. So what are you doing? That's not a question. That's Tom Ricks judging the God of the universe and finding fault with him. I have a, a, a colleague in ministry in our denomination, the EPC, and we, we give you updates every once in a while about him, Andrew Brunson, who is being held in a prison in Turkey uh, for no good reason whatsoever. He was serving there as a missionary, and I won't go into kind of what all has happened, but for 18 months he's been in prison. And I got to tell you, the last, you know, 12, the, you know, first, the first six months, we were hopeful that, you know, something was, somebody was going to talk to somebody and this was going to get straightened out and Andrew was going to be reunited with his family and was going to get home. And now we're 18 months into it and there's no end in sight. And I, I saw a, a, a thing that uh, Fox News put out on their app uh, early Friday afternoon that listed like 12 different people that were in prison or had been kidnapped around the world. And Andrew was like number seven. They had a, a, a little paragraph in there about his plight in Turkey. And I find myself saying, God, what are you doing? Why on earth are you leaving him alone in that prison? Right? You're the judgment in my voice. But I think we all have moments like that where, where something touches a chord in our heart that, that is very unhealthy and, and very self-centered. And yet we feel so righteous in asking the question that really isn't a question. So I want to challenge all of us this morning, myself first and foremost, what's my question that really isn't a question? And, and what am I really saying? I think what I'm really saying is I'm right and you're wrong. Your thinking and your motives are off. Martha here assumed that doing and serving was the best thing, that that's what God really wanted was her working really hard. And she should be rewarded for that hard work. She should be acknowledged for that hard work. She should get a pat on the back and Mary should get chewed out by Jesus and told to get her tail into the kitchen and get to help her sister, right? And none of that happens because now we come from Martha to Jesus who knows a whole lot more than Tom Ricks ever will. Look at, look at Jesus. Luke writes the following, but the Lord answered her. And I, and I want you to see this because I think it's important. It doesn't say that Jesus answered. It doesn't use Jesus' name. It uses his title. And I think that's important because Jesus is the Lord. In fact, he's the Lord of Lords. 
He is the king of kings. Now, you may not believe that. I I understand that not everybody in this room probably believes that about Jesus, but you can't read the gospels in the New Testament with any honesty whatsoever and come away with any other conclusion other than Jesus claimed to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? So I I might not believe that, but it doesn't mean that that Jesus didn't, didn't teach from that perspective and live his life from that perspective. And Luke, I believe, rightly says, the Lord, right, the God in the flesh, says to Martha, because it speaks to his authority, whatever comes next is exactly right. Whatever comes next does not need to be doubted. It it doesn't need to be examined for flaws. It needs to be accepted on face value because the God of the universe is now going to draw his attention to Martha's heart, and he's going to offer a plan B, right? It's the Lord who's speaking with authority, but it's also the one who loves Martha, and loves you and me and everybody who puts their faith in him with an unconditional love. Look at what he does with her, right? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, right? And there's a tone here of tenderness. There's a tone here of kindness. There's a tone here of gentleness. After all, Jesus as, as God was, uh, was part of the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit that inspired uh, the author of Proverbs who said this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And Jesus is being gentle with Martha because he wants her to be able to kind of decompress a little bit and hear what he's going to say. So there's a lot of wisdom in the way Jesus approaches us. And he reminds her, he knows her by name. She is dear to him, right? He loves her and he is tender and he is kind with her. It's Martha, Martha. And then he begins to help her see the struggle. You are anxious and troubled about many things. What Jesus says here to Martha is, Martha, I really know your heart. And notice what, it, what he says. He doesn't say, you're anxious and troubled about the meal. Or you're anxious and troubled about the preparation and the serving of the meal. Jesus is saying to Martha, in love and compassion, Martha, you have a bigger problem. This affects every relationship in your life. It affects every part of your life. You're anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, you go through your life as an anxious and troubled person. And as we're going to find out, she doesn't have to do that. She can lay that down, right? So I, I recall several years, it was probably seven or eight years ago, we were in our office building next door. We were still at North Kirkwood Middle. And a woman came to see me who was perplexed, uh, to say the least, about her family situation. She came in and she sat down. And let me just tell you, if you come in to see the pastor, it always helps us if you lead with why you're there, okay? She came in and she sat down and she looked at me, <laughs> And so I said, okay, we're going to play 21 questions, which is fine. I like a game. Uh, and so I said, you're, you're, and I was about to say, you're, you're nervous about your family situation, right? Because I kind of knew a little bit about what was going on. And I said, you're nervous, and I, and I couldn't get anything else. And she said, yep. Okay, uh, so you're anxious, and I was saying, about your, you know, yep, sure I am. Like, okay, just hang on for a second. You're anxious about your family. She goes, well, yeah, that's one of many things that I'm really worried about. It was that kind of tone. It was that kind of troubled heart that knew no peace and knew no tranquility. And, and there wasn't any, any, any margin for her to rest in, in her, her, her faith and in her Lord. And Jesus rightly points this out about Martha. Martha, this is not just about a meal. It's about a, it's about a frame of mind. It's about a pattern in your life. And, and I, as I go back and I look at my own heart, I say, okay, when I ask those why questions, what's really coming to the surface? I mean, if I really want to be, it's easy to blame God. 
I mean, gosh, that, that's the easiest thing in the world. But if I really want to look at my own heart, if I really want to dig down deep, perhaps there's something more that's there. And that's what Jesus does with Martha. That's what he, I believe what he wants to do with us this morning. Martha, your troubled heart. You're, you're, you're living your life in a way that, that agitates and, and hurts your life. And, and I think we could draw a couple of conclusions here. First, uh, there's an assumption on Martha's part, I think, that she has to earn her place, that she has to show that she's doing something to be significant. Why didn't Martha just go and sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus found my house to be a house where he could come and teach. That's all the significance in the world I need. I'm going to go sit down and listen. No. She missed that, and, and she ended up finding something else to consume her time because she's probably somewhere deep in her heart that I've got to earn love. I have to earn respect. It isn't given. There's, there's nothing really true about unconditional love. That doesn't really exist. You've got to kind of earn and work your way in this life. But that led her to do what? To self-righteously condemn others who don't do those things, right? Mary, had, again, Mary had no idea. She's just sitting there absorbed in the word of God. And yet Martha is quick to judge her and say she's wrong. And, and so this leaves Martha no room to actually need Jesus. Martha was of the understanding that Jesus needed her. And friends, I think a lot of us live our lives that way. We think God needs us to be a good person. We think God needs us to be church-going folk. We think God needs us to be great moms and great dads. He needs us to, to be, you know, to make sure that 2028 happens every year collectively as, as a congregation. And we need to, you know, make sure that we're doing these things. Now, I will tell you that coming out of faith, the response of faith in God is going to mean some activity on our part, but that's not where it starts. Where it starts is a need for Jesus in every area of our life. And when we begin to get our minds around that, the rest of our life begins to take shape and we'll know where to serve. We'll know where to give. We'll know where to expend our energy. But we have to understand that a lot of what we do with the lack of faith is leaving no room to need Jesus. And that's where Martha was. And so Jesus says to Martha in verse 42, Martha, there's actually a much better question to ask. There's one thing that's necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, if you look at that carefully, that answer is slightly um, disappointing if you're looking for something explicit, right? But the one thing is necessary, and the one thing that is necessary is this, and he, and he doesn't do it that way. He, he goes in a kind of an implicit side road, and he wants Martha, I think, and he wants us to really think about this. Mary's chosen the good portion. It won't be taken away. Martha, there, there's a better question here. There's actually only one question here. Only one thing is necessary. And you can imagine saying, well, Jesus, tell me what it is. And he doesn't. The one question I believe is something along the lines of, Lord, may I sit at your feet and learn of your love and your mercy for a sinner like me? May, may I learn how to belong to you, how, how, to, how to be a disciple, not act as a disciple, not do discipling things, but be Rest in the fact that you love me and you've been gracious for me. Uh, Leon Morse is a wonderful theologian and author, says this about this particular sentence of Jesus. He says, the one thing is not defined, but it clearly, it finds its expression, excuse me, in Mary sitting at Jesus's feet, learning from him. It is the attitude of dependence on Jesus that matters. 
See, Jesus was resolved not only to go to Jerusalem and go to the cross, which he did for us, but he was resolved along the way not only to offer salvation, but also to offer teaching and direction and correction of what it means to truly be his disciples. And to be a disciple of Jesus, one thing is necessary, that you believe in him, that you receive his love and his grace and his mercy. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. There, there, there's, no, there's no place where you go to, to sign up, to, to do enough work where God says, okay, now you get it. You simply need to come and sit at his feet and say, I need you. And I need you above everything else. There is nothing else in all the universe that can save me but you. And you're offering your grace and your mercy. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to soak it in until I get to the place where I know it's true. And then you know what you're going to have to do tomorrow? Because maybe you'll leave this morning. You're like, I, gosh, I get it. I see it in scripture. I, I'm loved by Jesus. I, I want to sit at his feet. And then you're going to go out today and tomorrow morning and tomorrow by lunch, some things are going to happen. And you're going to forget that you're loved by God unconditionally. And you're going to have to learn it over every day. That's the journey of discipleship. It's learning to receive the unconditional grace and mercy of God. Jesus was resolved to save us but also to show us that our salvation was not our work, but his work. And discipleship, first and foremost, is about being, not about doing. Are we resolved this morning? Are we willing this morning? It's not as easy as it sounds to ask the right question, to learn, to be completely dependent upon Jesus and to build our lives from that dependence. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this, this very short passage that's filled with so much accuracy about the human heart and how quickly we get things backwards, how easily we can slip into the notion of I've got to serve, I've got to earn, I've got to work, when the one thing that is necessary is faith. It's trusting that what you say about your love for us, that it's unconditional and it's free, that, that we believe that. That we trust that your death on the cross paid for all of our sins. Not some of our sins, not a portion of them, but all of them. And we can rest in that dependence on you. And when we depend on you, we will never ultimately be harmed. Even if we're in a prison somewhere. Because we never lose your grace. We never lose your mercy. What we find out when we sit at your feet is that you hold on to us with arms that will never drop us, never lose us. So, Lord, I continue to pray for Andrew and for his release. I continue to pray for his family who's struggling to make sense of this. But, Lord, I want to sit at your feet and know that you have this, just like you have my life and the lives of every person in this room who will put our faith in you. So, Lord, teach us. Teach us to be dependent upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.